Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City. Missed you guys last week. Things have been extremely hectic. As many of you know, I am recording this weekend, November the 12th, in New York City. You can come and see me record my one-hour comedy special at Westside Comedy Club, which is on 75th in Amsterdam, for those familiar with Manhattan's Upper West Side. You can get tickets for that event if you'll be in New York this Saturday, November 12th. You can get tickets online using the promo code CFPALS, C-F-P-A-L-S. CFPALS is the coupon code to save 80% on your tickets to come to this taping. I'm going to be performing for about an hour. Also appearing are two of my all-time favorite comedians, Menuhin Hart, Mm -hmm. who to me is like the next Eddie Murphy. He is so funny. And Ginny Hogan, who many of you may know, because she's super famous on Twitter. Twitter famous? I don't know how you say it. But yeah, she's very well known on Twitter. She also has a a hilarious book out. Um, She writes for The New Yorker. She is a very talented performer. So the three of us are going to be performing at Westside Comedy Club this Saturday, November 12th in New York City. So I hope to see some of you there. Uh, Another thing that's going on, I'm still not able to fully announce, but very, very exciting news that we hope to be able to announce next week pertaining to Tournament Poker Edge and, of course, the TPE podcast. So there's a lot happening, as seems to happen every year. My busiest months are always November and March. I don't know why, but it seems like everybody wants to have me on their podcast or record a special or, uh, you know, do this or that every year um, in these two particular months. I guess that's when everybody's kind of in work mode leading up to the holidays, hoping to accomplish all the goals for the rest of the year. So yeah, just like any other industry, the comedy business tends to pick up this time of year as well. So there's a lot happening and I am not mad about it. I'm very happy to be working as hard as I am these days, but it's kind of been driving me crazy, and I had to skip a week of podcasting, and I did miss talking to you guys, and I appreciate those of you who have been supporting me on Twitter and retweeting my various posts about this upcoming taping. I want to get a really good special to hopefully sell to one of the many outlets that uses comedy content but the last time i checked this was still a poker podcast and that's why it's time to talk poker with you guys there's a lot happening in poker as well the big 15 million dollar guaranteed wpt championship is happening at the win which is one of my favorite places in the world to play poker so i will be there next month and i hope to catch up with some of you that's all happening in December. At the same time, Poker Stars has brought back the Platinum Pass and the Poker Stars Players Championship or whatever. So there's tons and tons of poker 
excitement going on right now. As I record this, they are playing the World Series of Poker Europe, the WSOPE. So that is also very exciting because bracelets are being given out and everything else. So this is a very busy, very exciting time. And I hope that you are also keeping yourself busy doing something that you love. So let's get back to the Venom PKO. Those of you who follow me on Twitter know the outcome of this tournament, but I decided last time around not to share that on the podcast. I find that it's better to withhold the results because I don't want you guys to be influenced by knowing whether or not I had success in a particular event when we're going through the hands. If subconsciously you are aware that I end up doing well in a particular tournament or poorly in a particular tournament, it might affect your ability to be objective about the decisions with which I am faced as we go through the hands. So let's just pick up where we left off. The next interesting spot on day one of this Venom PKO. Now this was played on ACR, America's card room. The buy-in is $2,650 and the format is progressive knockout bounty. So we know I love this format and I love the Venom PKO. So in this hand, we are at a eight-handed table. Our stack is right around average, 350K. You start this tournament with 300K. The blinds are 3250 and 6500 with a 950 ante per player. And in this hand, we are in the small blind holding the Queen of Hearts, 10 of Hearts. And the action folds around to us in the small blind. And the question just becomes, do we want to limp in with this hand or raise it? So my strategy for the last year or so, it's been working out pretty well. I do not have a raising range folded to me in the small blind unless I have a short stack. So in this situation, we start this hand with about 45 big blinds. We've got an M of around 20. So yeah, I'm not really going to ever be open raising off of a stack like this in a tournament. So let's talk about the big blind, right? Obviously he's going to be our lone opponent in this hand. So I'm always going to limp or open fold, which typically I'm not really, I don't have much of an open folding range from the small blind, maybe the bottom 10% or so of hands. And then I can adjust that based on how aggressive my opponent is. But yeah, I'm limping here with aces, ace king, all my premium hands, and a lot of pretty crappy hands as well. And the reason why we're doing that is because we plan to have a fairly robust three betting range once we have limped in, in order to punish opponents who are too aggressive from the big blind. So we're going to put some bluffs in there. We're going to have hands that you might just think would be a call. We're going to do some things, but I'm not planning to limp three bet with the queen 10 of hearts. I think this hand plays too well. So if the opponent chooses to raise, then I am just going to usually call that raise and see a flop. Now, our stack is the effective stack as opponent is doing very, very well with 580,000 
in his stack compared with our 350 that we start with in this hand. So he's doing quite well. His HUD stats, we've only played about 35 hands, so I really don't know if these HUD stats tell us much. But for what it's worth, he is running 45-19 with a 7% 3-bet and a 3.0 post-flop aggression factor. So he appears to be loose aggressive, but I wouldn't put a great deal of stock in that assessment given that it's only 30 hands or so. So here we go. We're going to limp right in here with the queen 10 suited. And then as expected, our loose aggressive opponent makes it 19,500 to go, which is just three times the big blind. Uh, yeah, we have a very playable hand. We could put this hand into that three betting range, but I don't really see the necessity there. I decide to just go ahead and call the raise and we're going to see a flop. So now with 46,800 in the middle, the flop comes Jack of Diamonds, Eight of Hearts, Five of Diamonds. So Jack, Eight, Five with Two Diamonds and also One Heart Hero with the Queen, Ten of Hearts in the small blind. So we flopped an overpair and a gut shot and a backdoor flush draw. So a very good flop considering we don't have a pair yet. And we're always going to check to the pre-flop raiser uh, when we're heads up. So that's what we do here. And Villain decides to bet half the pot, 23,400. So now our Pot odds on a call are three to one. But what about raising? I mean, I don't think we want to fold this hand, right? We didn't call that raise pre-flop to flop this well and then just fold. I think raising has a lot of merit. Um, you know, we are relatively deep stacked. Again, we start this hand with about 45 big blinds. We could absolutely go for the check raise here. Probably take it down a lot because I expect our opponent to have nothing a good amount of the time. Uh, we can also, you know, drill the nuts on the turn if it happens to come a nine. Uh, we can also pick up more equity with a heart or make a pair of queens. So there are a lot of ways that our hand can improve. And whenever you're in that situation, it's at least worth considering putting in the check raise and trying to set up a double or possibly triple barrel situation on future streets. So I decided not to do that here, but I definitely considered it and I can see a lot of value in considering it. I think there is even more value in making those types of plays when we actually have our opponent covered. In a PKO, you have to consider whose bounty is potentially up for grabs. And in this case, unfortunately, the answer is heroes. So that does contribute to my decision to call here. I just flat and we're hoping to uh, pick up some equity on the turn. The cards cooperate and the Jack of Hearts comes off on 4th Street. So our board is now Jack of Diamonds, 8 of Hearts, 5 of Diamonds, Jack of Hearts. So it pairs the top card on the board and also gives Hero a straight flush draw. So nothing wrong with that Jack of Hearts, a pretty welcome sight. A nice card for me, for sure. Uh, also, we may be able to get away with representing a jack. I think we do have a lot of jacks in our 
limp calling range pre-flop. So, I mean, I don't, I can't really say that we have more jacks than our opponent does, but maybe we do. Kind of depends on how often this player will raise his big blind to a small blind limp. So, yeah, I mean, if he always does that, then he's going to have plenty of jacks because he's going to have any two cards a lot. But, yeah, I think in a $2,600 tournament, not that many players are always raising or really always doing anything. But, again, we only have... 30 hands on this guy, so I can't be sure of anything at this point. So all things being equal, I think that we could potentially represent that jack in the future. But the real question is, should we rep it now? I mean, we checked and called, remember, on the flop, and now a really good card for our actual hand shows up on the turn. Do we want to start selling that we have three of a kind? at this point or better by check call leading as we did in the last episode the old johnny chan well i certainly think that play has you know tons of validity we can take control of this pot possibly take it down a lot when we are behind and remember as of this moment we just have queen high with tons of potential so getting opponent to fold like a five or a hand like pocket sixes with a bet on the turn would obviously be a coup at this point in the hand. But I decided to go ahead and check again, continue to play in flow, and opponent checks behind. So not really sure at this point what to make of that. I think that he should have a lot of air. I mean, he shouldn't be particularly worried about a jack, as far as I can tell. Um, he should be betting most of his value hands that he bet on the flop should bet again on the turn because the board is getting very draw heavy with all these red cards all over it. So he checks behind on the turn and the river comes the nine of diamonds, giving us a straight on a final board of jack of diamonds, eight of hearts, five of diamonds, jack of hearts, nine of diamonds. So the flush came in but not the flush that we had a draw to. Instead, the straight that we were drawing to came in. But at this point in the hand, it is pretty far from the nuts. So should we bet it and try to get value? Should we check it and try to induce a bluff? Should we check and consider folding? Well, I think the first two options are okay, but uh, the last one does not work for me. Not against an opponent that I've only played a few hands against but who already strikes me as a fairly loose, aggressive type. I think maybe the best option here is to check and let the opponent try to represent that flush for those times when he gave up on the turn. I mean, the story we've told so far indicates that we have a little something, but not necessarily a straight. So maybe he doesn't want to lose when he has ace high versus like, you know, bottom pair or something like that. So perhaps checking has a lot of merit. I'll never know because I decided to bet my straight and I fire pretty big here. I put in 70,000 into the pot of 93,600, leaving myself with about 240K behind. So I don't know what I would do if opponent shoved versus this bet, but I think I would probably fold just because although we have a straight, it's pretty far from the nuts and really shrivels up 
when we get raised on this river. Fortunately for me, I did not have to make that difficult decision. Opponent just called, and my straight was good. Opponent had two queens. So pocket queens, the two black queens, so he did not block the flush. Anyway, uh, yeah, that was a fun hand. Maybe I could have gotten more value. I don't really think so. I think that my bet sizing on the river is probably about as big as we want to go if we know what our opponent has, the overpair. He has to fear the straight that we have, the potential that we could have a full house or three of a kind, that this river might have given us a flush even. There's just a lot going on on this board, so I'm not even sure that he will always call with queens, but I'm sure glad that this time he did. Okay, let's do one more here, guys. The same level, just a few hands later. Uh, this time we're in third position, and the player in second position, so one fold, and then a player that I recognize. He is a very well-known, uh, very tough online poker player. He's capable of a lot of things and probably follows a strategy that is relatively speaking, close to game theory optimal GTO. So he opens from second position, just a notch above the minimum raise. He makes it 14-3. Again, the big blind is 6,500. Um, yeah, so he's in early position, second position. I'm on his immediate left, holding the ace of hearts, queen of clubs. So now this player is uh, you know, pretty tough, what I would call a tight, aggressive reg. Uh, that doesn't mean he never bluffs. But yeah, he likes to generally get in there. I think that I can put him on a pretty strong range opening from second position. We have him covered. He starts the hand with about 340,000 and Hero is now above 400,000. So what to do? I mean, you could certainly three bet here with the uh, ace queen. It's a strong enough hand to three bet, but I think barely so, considering we're only in third position and there are so many players yet to act, five opponents yet to act to my left, and what am I supposed to do if I get four bet? I hate having to fold ace-queen because it's too strong. I also hate calling with it from out of position because it's too weak, so it's kind of right in that danger zone there, but you can three bet this hand. I think flatting is also okay. You just have to have a plan for if someone tries to pull off a squeeze behind you. Um, I decided to go for the three bet here, actually. I made it 49K, so the original open was to 14. I made it 49. One thing that influenced my decision was the fact that there were two different stacks of around 200,000 on my left, and I really want to be able to get all in versus either one of those stacks in order to compete for the bounty prizes attached to them. And the easiest way for that to happen is for me to three bet here, planning to call when either of those two short stacks shoves all in. So that's why, that's, that influences my decision. That's one reason why I want to three bet here. Also, I think playing more aggressively against tough opponents is usually correct. I want to try to limit my variance. So if we look at some numbers here, if this player who opened this pot decides to just flat call the three bet, 
we're going to have a really easy SPR to play. There would be, in that case, about 110,000 in the middle, 115, something like that. And he would only have less than 300,000 left in his stack. So it should be fairly easy for me to play with such a small SPR post-flop in position, holding ace-queen offsuit. These are some of the things that I think about that factor into my decision-making process when trying to decide in a close spot, should I flat or three bet? So yeah, that's why I went for the three bet here. And then the action folds all the way back to the original razor who calls. So just exactly what we described a moment ago, there's about 115K in the middle, opponent with just 290 remaining in his stack. And it should be fairly easy for us to play and possibly even collect that bounty if things go well. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. With 115,000 in the middle, the flop comes. King of diamonds, 10 of clubs, 7 of spades, king, 10, 7, rainbow, hero with the ace of hearts, queen of clubs for an overcard and a gut shot on the king, 10, 7 board. Opponent checks to the pre-flop three better, a.k.a. Clayton Comic. And what should we do with ace queen here before i answer that question i want to give a shout out to our sponsor sitesoptimized.com i've been talking about this guy for weeks his name is danny and he's got this business sitesoptimized.com he's in the business of website design and search engine optimization so danny's a poker player i actually met him at the world series of poker this summer. Great guy. We really got along well. We had a pretty funny table with some <laughs> interesting poker happening there, to say the least, and also a few very colorful characters for our entertainment, I guess. Um, but yeah, after after the game was over, Danny, who busted me out of the Lucky Sevens tournament, and on a bad beat, I might add, uh, approached me about sponsoring the podcast, and it seemed like a match made in heaven. He works a lot with people in the home services industry. This would be like plumbing, roofing, siding, windows. He's done a lot of work in that space, but he's really done a lot of web design for a lot of different companies. You can take a sample of his work on sitesoptimized.com. And if you decide to give Danny a shot, for all of our listeners, if you have a business that you want to promote, Danny will create a personalized mock-up of a homepage for you. And if you like it, you can pay him. And if you don't, you don't have to make a deal at all. That's absolutely free. No obligation, no purchase necessary. Let Danny show you what he can do. Visit sitesoptimized.com, S-I-T-E-S-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-D.com and tell him that what you two have in common is that you're both listeners to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. All right, let's get back to the hand. Recapping the action, the player in second position that I deem to be a very talented regular uh, raises from second position, and then we on his immediate left, three bet with ace-queen offsuit. Action folds all the way back to the original raiser who calls, and now with an SPR of under three, we flop king-10-7 rainbow hero holding the ace of hearts, queen of clubs, and villain checks to the razor. Well, let's talk about what we should do 
in this spot. I mean, you can bet. Obviously, that king is a good card for the three betting range. Uh, most of villains' hands that he should have in his raise call range don't include kings, right? Pocket kings should be four betting. Ace king would often four bet as well. So we're not too worried about the king. So we should have a nuts advantage in this spot and probably a range advantage as well. Given that we were both in relatively early position, we should have mostly big premium pairs and ace-king. So it looks like a pretty good flop for Clayton. I still have plenty of showdown value, on the other hand. I'm sitting here with ace-queen, which could be good. You know, some of our opponents... Raise calling range might include hands like queen jack suited or possibly nine eight suited, maybe even some others. So I think that just checking behind is also perfectly fine. I decided to go for a, a, the kind of bet that I would make if I had a king. I'm repping that king. I bet 32,000 into the 115,000 pot and villain calls so we are starting to get a pretty big pot here there is now 180k in the middle villain stack is down to 255 and the turn comes the king of clubs so our board is now king of diamonds ten of clubs seven of spades king of clubs hero holding the ace of hearts queen of clubs and villain checks once again now do you want to bet the king that pairs the top card on the board on 4th Street. I decide to just check it back because, well, honestly, I think that a lot of our opponent's range at this point is going to be maybe a hand with a 10, maybe like Jack-10 suited, Queen-10 suited, Ace-10 suited, and others. Maybe a hand like Pocket-9s, Pocket-8s. And I'm just worried that this is such a bad card for me to use as a bluff. Like, I don't think that he's going to put me on a king very often because he already knows where two of the kings are. Also, as mentioned, this player is capable of a lot of things. We could be looking at a monster here. Against a more straightforward opponent, a lot of players will just call that small bet on the flop and then fold way too often on the turn no matter what the card is. This guy's a good player. I'm scared. I decide to check behind. And the river comes the 10 of hearts. So now we have a double paired board. King, 10, 7, King, 10. And opponent checks once more. Do we want to show down ace high? Or do we want to try to represent a king or a 10 or some other really strong hand here? For the same reasons why I didn't want to bet the king when that paired the board on the turn, I decided not to bet the 10 when it paired the board on the river against an opponent that I think might be intimidatable <laughs> or just someone who really doesn't know what's going on. I think I might go for a bluff here, turn my ace high into a bluff. I think checking it back is totally fine. I think I'm going to win a lot just with ace high. I also think that most of the hands that are beating us are not going to fold to a bluff on a double paired board. So I decided to check behind and we end up losing this pot 
to pocket queens. So that's two hands in a row where I had an opponent holding pocket queens. I really don't think that I could have gotten him off of it. I think that he would have to make a crying call. Perhaps I could turn my ace-queen into a bluff, like if I overbet the pot. Yeah, I guess I would want to be able to overbet, like if I had ace-king in this situation, I have kings full of tens, maybe betting like 150% of the pot or more, we could get some folds from hands like pocket queens and maybe some calls from hands like jack-10 suited for you know the bottom full house. I don't know. I, this just feels a little too fancy for me. I'm really working on not always trying to outplay the tough opponents at my tables, especially day one of the Venom or any tournament where there are a lot of satellite winners. There were certainly much better spots at my table from which to try to accumulate chips. So for those of you who think that I always, always, always bluff, <laughs> there's a great example of a time when I decided to find a brake pedal. And that'll do it for this episode. Stay tuned. Very, very soon we're going to have a big announcement for you concerning Tournament Poker Edge and the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Be sure to join our Discord channel where we've been posting different things about giveaways and stuff relating to the ever-popular Killing Bird home game. And a special thanks to anyone who has already taken the time to rate, review, like, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're using. It really helps us out so, so much. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun.